0: to help yeah no coma cool um steve man so thank you so much for being here the first question we're starting off with is really simply what is your first memory
1: my very first memory i think is that as a two-year-old two and a half year old i was a really really cute little kid and my mother is (laughs) russian and all of her friends are russian and they love to pinch my cheeks and it bugged the hell out of me (laughs) and and one day there was a bunch of them over Visiting, you know, for whatever a, a vodka party, and they were coming over, and they they came over to pinch my cheeks, and I and I kept backing away from them, backing away from them, and we had a glass coffee table in the living room, like I, I uh, back into the glass. Coffee table and it fell over and smashed on the floor.
0: Yikes. <laughs> yeah. But even,
1: it, even as a young two, two and a half year old, I knew it was their fault, not mine.
0: <laughs> yeah, 100%. Rule 101 is not your fault, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, actually. man. So for everyone who's tuning in, just fill us in. Where are you and what are you currently working on? Uh, I am in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Actually, I'm in
1: a a, a, a suburb called Ajax which is about 20 minutes east of Toronto and I'm working on a couple of things. I, uh, I have a business I call Entertainment Career Guidance. I'm a 40-year music industry veteran and I'm helping uh, bands sort of figure their way around the new world as it is um, to try and figure out how to uh, give themselves a better shot at success in the world that we're living in now and I also have a
0: podcast called The Creationists, which is a
1: podcast about people who create.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Um, do you want to share maybe a, it's hard to say, like a favorite episode, because I know that's like dicey territory. But what's a standout episode for you that you've um, been able to uh, lead and be a part of with The Creationist? Well, uh,
1: I'll tell you, one of the earliest episodes that I posted was um, a, a episode called Songwriting with Jim Cuddy. And Jim Cuddy is one of the two main songwriters in one of Canada's biggest bands called Blue Rodeo. And they've had endless number of platinum records in this country, endless number of hits. And I really wanted to get into the songwriting process with Jim. And in particular, there's a song he has um, on, on the biggest album they've ever released is an album called Five Days in July. And he has a song called Five Days in May, which when the band starts playing it in concert, the crowd always goes crazy for it because it, it, it's got a very particular beginning. Mm. And so I wanted to hear this, hear Jim's story behind writing five days in May and what the process was and what, what his, how much, how much inspiration has to do with writing music and how much of it is work because I've known Jim a long time. And I know that, when he writes songs, he comes into the studio like a work day. He comes in at 11 o'clock. He doesn't leave till four and he works at writing songs. So I was really curious as to what the whole process was and how much of it was inspiration. And one of the things that he told me in the course of the interview, which seems to be the thing that connects almost all, all creators that I've spoken to so far is inspiration isn't ne- necessarily a magical thing. It's something you work towards.
0: Wow. That's interesting. I was interviewing a, a fellow recently, a musician over here in Northern Ireland called Foy Vance, and he described, actually, it's funny, the exact same thing you just said. He described himself as going in like a minor, clocking in nine to five, and just working away, trying to dig up, you know, that creative and that uh, songwriting sort of process. So, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's interesting, interesting, isn't
1: it? Yeah, and it's interesting that you bring up Foy because, uh, of course, he's featured in the uh, Ed Sheeran film Songwriter that's on Apple.
0: Yeah, and Awesome. Where,
1: Dude, you know Foy? Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And where they, um, you know, where they show, you know, they show you the process. And it's, it's really interesting to watch them go through a year of songwriting to come up with the, the Divide record
0: yeah and i loved like he explained a little bit like the difference between his process and ed's process and he yeah. said that ed is just super fast and just bangs a song out and can just like boom boom boom, and is, is always looking for that forward motion he on the other hand, he says he likes to kind of like really chew on a little bit just for a long time and really mull over it but they both arrive at the same destination of great music they just take yeah. kind of different roads to get there and it's interesting to see them collaborate and bounce off each other too
1: absolutely i know know that ed loves for it to death
0: yeah awesome so how is this whole global crisis this these current kind of times that we both find ourselves in how have they disrupted what you do disrupted your day-to-day life and have you found ways to kind of overcome some of those challenges yet
1: well i mean obviously it's it's brought a heightened state of paranoia into our household washing our hands a lot like and and at the end of the day, we're going. To, we have to moisturize our hands because we wash them so much. <laughs> if only they invented like moisturizing sanitizer, eh? <laughs> oh my god, that would be, that would be the thing. And maybe that's the thing somebody should be pivoting to. Steve, this um, is our moment. Let's do it,
0: man. <laughs> oh my god,
1: do not post this. Do not post this interview. Otherwise, somebody else will do it. <laughs> and, and the other the other thing too is I, I used to shop for groceries daily. I would always, you know, sort of figure out at the beginning of the day what I wanted to for dinner and then I would shop for groceries but now you know we're shopping you know two weeks in advance putting a whole bunch of stuff in the freezer and I have to you know I have to now plan my meals in advance so that I can
0: you know start taking stuff out of the freezer thawing and getting ready for the next meal. You know that whole that whole kind of process you described, it's always something that I've found really curious. Like we, to be honest, I'm a shop once a week and try to make it last the whole week kind of person. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I quite like the idea of like walking down to the shop in the evening and getting the ingredients and just making something. Is that, we brought up that way? Is that something you've always done? Was that a conscious choice? Oh, that's hilarious. No, you know what? It's like I have been co- I have been cooking now for
1: 35 years I think okay but I I cannot stand in an aisle and go oh yeah I'm gonna take that and that and that and I'm gonna make this magical thing <laughs> I I will go to the grocery store often not knowing what I want and I will stand <laughs> in the middle of the grocery store and start scrolling through the internet looking for a recipe i wow. I mean I'll see I'll see something like I'll, I'll see something like um a spaghetti squash and go you know and then look up be squash recipes mm. but but the idea of i mean there are very few things i can walk into this house and feel inspired to create something magical out of what's in the fridge
0: yeah <laughs> you
1: know, um apart from ham, I, I make a pretty wicked hamburger and that oh, was yeah? a recipe that's a recipe that i came with on my own
0: nice man do you want to do you want to swap a recipe with me
1: Sure, no problem. I, uh, I got a couple. I got, I got I got hamburger and I got
0: ribs. What do you got? Uh give me hamburger because I don't know what the rib situation is like in Northern Ireland. <laughs> okay. Um I have you ever made falafel? I made falafel for the first time like 2 weeks ago. So, here's the
1: thing. I can my wife has a very sensitive nose and so I do not fry in the house. Ah so i can't i'm sorry i can't make a falafel for you
0: <laughs> you can look at. there's like baked alternatives but i don't know how good they They're are not as well that's, you know what when you when yeah no when you're getting a
1: falafel ball you're getting it because it's fried goodness not getting it because it's a baked chickpea mix
0: so tell me about your hamburger process well,
1: well you know first of all um there's a I don't know if you would have them over there, but there's a really great cracker over here called Breton's crackers. And they have, they make a garden vegetable cracker. Mm. So what I'll do is I'll take about a pound of hamburger meat, seven or eight crackers that I will mush up. Okay. Um, a nice big squirt of Dijon mustard, some, um, Worcestershire sauce, salt and pepper. And depending on my day, um, an egg yolk, and mm-hmm. that, and that's all. That's all it really needs. Mush okay. it all together, make your patties, and uh, for me, cook it on the barbecue. Do not, if if you have to cook it in a pan, don't do it. It needs, <laughs> it needs to be barbecued. I know how you people over there are with your <laughs> putting everything on, on the stove and frying it everything. Bro, we do love not it. Do this. We absolutely love it. We can't stop. I don't know why. <laughs> oh my god. It's just like, it's it's fatty enough. You don't need oil in it too.
0: <laughs> so good, man. Um look, in the process of all this, have has there been yeah. any new opportunities for you? That you have now that you didn't have a month ago, in the midst well, of you know, all this craziness I'll, and chaos and whatever. Well,
1: I'll, I'll tell you, you know, one of one of the things. So I I work from home already, oh. and one one of the things is that I you know I deal with a lot of people that are in the office, and you're trying to get them. You know, you're trying to reach these people by email or by phone, and you know they're always being pulled in a lot of different directions yeah now that everybody is working from home
0: as you you know i think you work from home too don't you yeah i, I go into belfast i have a studio there okay. uh three okay. times a week and then the rest yeah i'm at home
1: yeah but you know you find you get more work done in less amount of time at home so totally. you have more time to
0: yourself yes yeah, totally. now
1: now what i'm when i'm trying to reach people during these covid times they're picking up the phone because they have, to, because they're not being distracted by you know meetings and colleagues coming in and pulling them out of their office, and they're there. So, so I can I so I'm actually able to reach people easier now.
0: Nice. So actually, you probably will end up saving time then.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. It's
0: great. By the way, just another quick side hustle. Uh, the COVID times, I just had the funniest picture of like a newspaper in my head when you said that. <laughs> Don't post this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. Um, so kind of like switching gears into some of our bigger stock questions that we're asking everybody. Yeah. Um, like out of all of your life experience and everything that you have done so far, what, in your own opinion, has been the most successful thing? My marriage.
1: Before I met my, before I met my wife, I would say that I was pretty self-absorbed but then not long after we met and we started dating, I became a much nicer person and helped all aspects of my life personally and professionally.
0: Wow. Tell us a bit more about that. Well,
1: I'm, I'm a bit of a loner and when I'm in social situations, I tend to push my personality out there and I, I, I think that to some people, it looks like I'm, or at least it feels like I, it looks like I'm trying too hard. And I tried, you know, for years, I tried to be like the real cool dude, not like Fonzie, just like a a, a laid back guy. I don't, I don't drink. I've never done drugs. I, so when I'm in social situations, I'm usually uncomfortable. Mm. So I think I, I would overcompensate and I would sort of not be neat. And therefore, I would be a little bit too demonstrative. And even even within my family, because I've I worked in the music industry and I had a, you know, a, pretty, a pretty highfalutin position for a while. And, and I think that I was a little bit full of myself. Yeah. When, and when I met my wife, uh, it just she didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. It just falling in love with her just really brought me down to earth. And I realized I didn't, I didn't need to try so hard. I didn't need to be anyone other than who I am. It was fine, you know. I was a nice enough person if I would just let myself be me. Wow,
0: dude, I absolutely love that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, No problem. Okay. Flip side of that, greatest challenge. And uh, if you don't mind sharing, how did you overcome that? Sure.
1: Well, you know, as we talked about, you know, in the middle of last year, the company I was working for and I broke up and I found myself, you know, in a position where I had to sort of figure out what my next move was going to be, whether I was going to call it retirement or semi retirement or if I was going to look for something else. But one of the things one of the things that I always had recommended to friends who had lost their jobs over the years was go and ask people what they thought of you and see if anything would come of that. And so I took my own advice. I don't know if any of my friends ever did it, but I took my <laughs> own advice and I started scheduling meetings with people that I had worked with around the industry for years and asked them a simple question. What do you think of me? And what do you think of the job that I've done? Wow! And I, and, and I'll, I'll take whatever you, you know, whatever you give me. And I was, I was what, made me feel really good was you know people people had a high opinion a higher opinion of me than I thought I, I didn't I never considered whether or not I had any kind of reputation but to find out that I had a good reputation was fantastic but the other part of it was the way I always felt like I was treating people, they were getting it that mm. one of the, one of the things was that people recognized that when I, that I would not waste their time. That if there was that if I felt like I was not going to be able to give them what they needed, I would tell them right away or as soon as possible. We can't make that happen. Let's see if we can make something else happen instead. And they appreciated that kind of candor. In the in the course of having those conversations with people, I met with um, a colleague who showed up in the meeting knowing what we, we wanted to talk about. And she was all excited because she had come to, come to a meeting with an idea for what I can do from what she knew I brought to the table with regards to my experience and my level of success. And when she spoke to me about it, I realized this was an opportunity to do the thing that I most love to do. And all I needed to do was step out and take the challenge head on and see what I could build from it. And it eventually has led to, you know, a career that's based on those recognized strengths and my personal passion. And, you know, it's still early days, but, you know, I I was saying to somebody the other day, you can't underestimate the satisfaction of making even one dollar or one pound or one (laughs) euro from doing something that you've created.
0: Absolutely. It's a, it's a kind of like a magical feeling. Like I even just remember like being super young and like the first time I sold something on eBay, like just thinking like, what is this witchcraft? It was just like a mind blowing (laughs) thing. Do you know what I mean? Never mind. Like whenever you start like making t-shirts or something, you're like, Whoa, like it just opens your eyes up to the possibility. So, I mean, I totally get that. Like you've covered a lot of ground, like in a short space of time and you're actually kind of already in the same sort of vein of this next question. But if you were to package up, some of the lessons you've already talked about and you had a couple of minutes to talk to the 18 year old version of yourself. What sort of things would you be saying in addition to what you've already shared?
1: Well, it, it actually comes down to something I haven't shared. I would, I would say to my 18 year old self, practice harder, practice more. I was, uh, I celebrated a birthday last month and my friends and I sat around the table and I don't know if it was my sister was there or my wife said this to me or one of my friends said, do you have any regrets? And the only regret that I have in life is I I love doing a lot of different things, but there isn't one thing that I am all in 100% my entire life for. Mm. And I love playing guitar and I started playing guitar when I was 15 or 16 years old. I wish I had practiced harder, because I, I could be good. I could be really good now. Wow. I want. You know, at the time I started playing guitar, I just wanted to be good enough so that I could play with some friends and maybe play in a band and you know maybe have something happen. But I I only realized later that if I had tried harder, if I had practiced harder, maybe I could have been in a real band. Hmm. You know, at wor- or, or at worst, I could be a much better guitar player today and be able to do things that I you know. Would never have imagined I'd be able to do. Amazing. I have a, I have a, I have a friend whose lifelong passion is hockey, he, and and he turned that passion into writing eighteen hockey books.
0: Oh, uh,
1: oh yeah, no, it's like so. So he was a hoarder, and he, he would collect newspaper articles and whatnot, and for years and about uh, nineteen years ago, he he and I and another friend of ours, we would exchange Christmas gifts every year. And about 18 years ago, 19 years ago, I showed up at the dinner that we were having with a box and in the box was a ream of, a ream of paper, a box of floppy disks and a book called publishing for dummies. (laughs) And I, I said, you've been collecting papers and stories for years. This year, you're going to write a book for goodness sake. And he ended up writing, he ended up, Within twelve months, he had his first book published. Incredible! And he's he's working on nineteen and twenty right now.
0: Class, Um, have you ever read any Cal Newport? No, right. So that is something I'll send uh, after this because what you're talking about craft and practicing, and he actually uses the example of the guitar and how we need that dedicated practice and all this sort of stuff. But I think you would absolutely like plow through those books. I think you would absolutely love them. So I'll definitely, I'll shoot you a couple of links um, after oh, thank this. thank you very much. But what's one thing that you would uh, recommend or you'd like to share with us, whether it is a book or a podcast or an album or a blah, blah, blah? Uh,
1: well, I'm going to I'm gonna blah, blah, blah all over the place for you here. <laughs> I've got two books I always recommend to everybody to read. One is A Prayer for Owen Nini. And the other is the Catcher in the Rye, because I just think that I think that reading both, reading a prayer for Owen Meany, I think is a book that makes everybody feel good about being a good person. Mm. And reading the Catcher in the Rye, I think appeals to everybody's mischievous side. And I think think it's important to uh, to hang on to that kind of stuff for. For an album, my suggestion is the Tom Petty American Treasure Anthology because there's so many pieces, <laughs> there's so many songs <laughs> in that thing. And and for, for my for my money, Tom Petty is one of the great rock and roll writers of all time. I had I got to uh, work with Tom um, back in 2014, and I uh, I I said to him. You know, I just think it's amazing that you have released so many records and you don't have a stinger song on any record. And he looked up at me and he kind of smiled out the side of his face and he went, yeah, well, we just don't release any of those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: And, and of course, I, I want to suggest that everybody listen to the Creationist podcast because I want to have
0: more people listening. <laughs> Dude, represent. Absolutely. Do it, yeah. man do it well yeah well that episode you were talking about i think would be a good place to start have you ever heard of a he's another north Irish musician a guy called van morrison <laughs> <laughs>
1: isn't, isn't he isn't he related to ben
0: halen <laughs> i just think he's he's fascinating because he is just you know i think he's about to hit his 50th album and he just keeps putting it out there he keeps showing yeah. up and i just find good. people like that absolutely fascinating um steve final question for you yeah. um you know if you could somehow get the email address of every single person in the world and shoot them a quick email what would you like to say to them
1: do the right thing wash your hands stay away from others and do your part to eradicate the crisis and we need to accept short-term pain for long-term gain and hopefully we'll be able to diminish the emissions that are going into the atmosphere right now
0: mm. Steve, mate, I absolutely love that. That was really, really great crack. Really, really, really fun. Thanks so much for uh giving up your time and also just sharing so generously with us.
1: Oh, my pleasure, Matt. And I, I hope this all works out. That I think that what you're doing here is a really great idea.
0: Cool, man. Cheers.
1: Cheers.